This is Lou Guadagnino. And this is Marilyn Guadagnino. Welcome to the Living Stress-Free Podcast. From Rochester, New York, on the edge of America. On the edge of America. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Living Stress-Free. We offer you these podcasts to help you learn ways to reduce your stress, balance your life, and reach your goals. So, Lou, how's it been for you lately? How are things? Well, um, everything's going wonderful, but what I'm noticing is that, you know, autumn's starting to come. Yes, it is. Yeah, you know, it's very subtle. Uh, we live in upstate New York or western New York, so... Um, but you can see the shadows growing longer, and it's darker, longer in the morning, and there's just changes. I mean, it's not like it's, you know... There's no changing of the leaves yet, but you can you can see it's it's happening. What I notice is walking the dogs early in the morning. You know, this is like five in the morning. There's no birds singing. Yeah, that, it's isn't quiet. it? Yeah, you know what? And it took me forever to realize that the birds, um, you know, they stop singing. It's like you know they give you their song for a while and then they just shut up. They, they, after that, <laughs> you have to pay a, I guess a union or something. I don't know. You know, you have to buy pet birds and feed them and do all just to get them the same. <laughs> but you hear strange sounds in the morning. There's no birds, but you know, we, we live where there's a lot of beech nut trees and the beech nuts keep falling. Oh, the beech nut bombs, that's what Oh I my call god. It. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. all quiet, then you hear the strange sound of it's falls and then you're not sure if is there an animal in the right. woods or is it a beech nut. Right. And then we heard the turkeys you don't know. the turkeys the other morning were in the distance and right. if you've ever heard turkeys out in the forest they they, they make odd sounds. Wild turkeys, I believe, are the original um, and I'm talking about only in America, the original goblin sound. <laughs> I believe that. Seriously. You're right. There's there's just a little boom. But you, you know, it's not like a boo. What is it? How's it going? You know, it, there's an uncertainty about it that's frightening. There is. You know, a cardinal is very clear. A robin, very, you know, I'm a robin, very clear, you know. Mm-hmm. But turkeys, especially in the middle of the night or right before dawn, it's, you know, worrisome. It's like, do you know who you are? Do you know what you're going to do? <laughs> So it's been creepy in the mornings. Very creepy. And, you know, it gets dark earlier and all those things. But, you know, I've noticed noticed that there's really only four months out of the year that are purely the season that they are. This is a a theory that I've had, but it looks like we're going to expand it to an LSF theory. So it's my theory of seasons and that there's only four pure seasons. And they're basically, they happen the, the... first full month after the official change of the season. So the four months out of the year would be January, April, July, and October. And they're the months that whatever season you're in, you're purely in the midst of the season. And what I noticed for myself... Well, hold on, hold on. Let's, mm, let me ask a question. Oh, okay. clever. So what is January? January is winter. So winter, it comes one month after it's it, according to the Roman calendar, is Most, what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's the first full month. Yeah, it's so actually just a couple of weeks because the winter solstice is, you know, like usually the 21st or 22nd. But what you're saying is that there's a difference between the calendar, uh, the calendar beginning of the season and when it actually that's start yes that's what i'm suggesting you aren't fully in the season until the first full month okay. after the changeover and then each season part of the season you're transitioning into it and part of the season you're transitioning out of it so there's that um that 
changing happening and the only and i'm suggesting is only four months that are purely the season and what happens is in those four months i uh, be personally i feel the most balanced like my homeostasis my equilibrium everything is just in balance i feel like i'm thriving the most in those four months even though like January for a lot of people is a difficult month because it's a winter month, I always feel like I'm thriving in that month. Like everything is settled because it's purely the season. And like July, for example, my favorite summer month, the weather is usually great in our area of the country. I feel, you know, vibrant, energized. I so like you're the, talking about uh, there's a feeling of stability. Yes, stability. Where the other seasons that you... Everything else is, is either... Com- it, yeah. we're, we're in the process of getting there or the process of leaving there. Yes, that transitioning. And I'm feeling that transition okay. now. And like an example is I feel more fatigued. I feel more tired. It's harder to um, exercise in the morning before work, which is what I like to do. And I look at, okay, is it, have I been getting not enough sleep? No, it's the same amount of sleep. Am I eating different kinds of food that knock your energy? No, not really. You mean besides the Abbott's custard? (laughs) No, that's a given. (laughs) We've just just adopted the Abbott's custard forever now. But yeah, I don't know. Have you noticed that with your body? You know, I think your theory makes a real lot of sense. And the reason is because I, I think one of the things that we don't like to acknowledge in our world is that um, that life is uncomfortable a lot. You know that life that's part of life. Like part of life is that it's it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not saying a hundred percent of the time, but but it's regularly uncomfortable. Yes. And I think the discomfort, a lot of it, is what you. It could be attributed to what you're saying is that things are in the process of changing. So when the environment, you know, the natural environment is changing, obviously our physiology has to adapt. So, of course, there must be some sense of restlessness or change. So what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. And we don't live in a vacuum. We don't live, we are interconnected with everything. So it's not just that you biologically get your body perfectly in balance and that that's it there's there's the effects of nature Mm -hmm. it really you know so you're saying there's outside forces that you really can't control absolutely no matter how much you exercise or what diet you have that's what i'm saying that's a real disappointing point to start out with but let's go with it so so for our listeners check it out see if you notice in the transition months in between seasons if you feel differently and it isn't only the change of, you know, the time changing, like from daylight savings to regular time. It's more than that. You just There's just something that feels a little different. And it's not only you. So, But, you know, we talk a lot about stress on our show here. And we wanted to spend today's podcast on talking about the living stress-free way of looking at the three types of stress. Because um, it's... It's important when you have knowledge, it gives you more ability to figure out how to fix a problem. Without the knowledge, you don't know how to fix it. Knowledge and awareness are key. So first of all, we define stress as anything that knocks off your balance. It's a very general definition, but it really is accurate because that covers everything, even when there's what supposed good stress, positives happening, it still is knocking off your balance. That's why you could take the most incredible vacation, but then you'll feel like really, you know, out of sorts afterwards. Well, you just gave a wonderful example of it. 
which is that the seasons are constantly changing. The environment is constantly changing, the natural environment. So because things are constantly changing, we're constantly adapting. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, there is this sense of um, adjustment. Yes, exactly. Perfect example. And that causes stress. It does. So there's three kinds of stress from our model. And um, we'd like to share with you what those are and give you examples. So the first type of stress is the most common that everyone experiences, and it's called transient stress. So Lou, tell us about transient stress. Well, as you said, transient stress <laughs> is um, I feel a little set up there. I was, yeah, I it's know. It's a good one, though. Like, yeah, I'm like a bowling pin here. Okay. That's right. Um, transient stress is like you said that's what most people mean by fight or flight or what people call um, good stress mm -hmm. you know that you know something happens the uh, the kettle is burning and you know, bubbling over boiling over and you run over and you turn the gas down and take it off the burner and then you know the water uh, calms down and you feel better and the stress passes you process it and that's it you know stress works and it happens all the time so you know, this is why we we don't say that you can you can live a life without stress. Of course, you're going to have stress because transient stress happens every day. Basically, when somebody cuts you off on the highway, when um, a thunderstorm pops up out of nowhere, and you have an outdoor activity planned, when you don't get enough sleep, when food mm -hmm. is difficult for you to digest for whatever reason, you get most of the time transient stress. So we go through this adjustment period, and then we adjust, and then. It, the experience of stress passes. Mm -hmm. So this is quite normal, and um, the basic mechanics of it have been with us since the beginning of time, where something happens and we have cortisol and adrenaline that pumps out of our, these, these chemicals that pump out of our hormones in our brain, and it makes us have this reaction, fight, flight, or now fight, flight, or freeze. So these, this is part of life. Now there's a second kind of stress that's, we name residual stress. So let's talk a little about residual stress. Well, residual stress, I think, is what most people mean by, you know, burnout mm -hmm. or, you know, something wore them down. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a chronic situation that bothers you. Uh, it doesn't matter, by the way, whether the situation appropriately bothers you or whether it's all in your imagination. The, the main thing is that the situation bothers you. Mm -hmm. And you um, feel resentment towards it, resistance towards it. You want it to change. Make you, maybe you make several efforts to try to change it and you can't. Um, but the main thing is that it's transient stress gone long. You know, it's, it's, it's gone on <laughs> yes. for a while. And what happens is you can't process all the stress. Mm -hmm. You can't process it. And so it begins to accumulate. It begins to build up. Uh, very much like toxins in your body build up. And so you start to become toxic. You start interpreting everything in different ways than you would if you weren't experiencing um, this type of stress. And so you add more stress to yourself through your interpretation because you're so stressed, everything seems stressful. So would an example of residual stress be like, somebody that's working at a job that they don't particularly like and yes a bad job a yes. bad relationship yes. feeling that you were you know you want to do something you're very inspired to do something and you can't do it 
you have to, you know, you, you want to be a, a, a musician, but you're a male person, you know, or whatever it may be. A male, even, like a postman person? Y- yeah. Oh, or, okay. Yeah, or maybe... <laughs> I thought you meant male or female. <laughs> no, 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 no. Stress is universal. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't even have to think about those things. Isn't it wonderful? We all experience stress. So we all experience stress and... Um, you know, residual stress is stress that is a chronic situation that you can't fix. And a lot of people have residual stress. There's many things in life, I, I think, especially nowadays, that have caused residual stress. And, you know, I'm thinking about lately in the news and in the media and what's happening in our country with increased violence and and people having very strong viewpoints about politics and religion and all of that, that is all residual stress growing and growing and continuing, going, staying on a continuum of just constantly, chronically being there. Yeah, well, stre- stress is a main factor in everything. We usually don't think of it. I guess the best way to start thinking about stress for a lot of people is think of it as a risk factor. Hmm. You know, it's difficult for people to really take stress... I don't think we re- most of us really want to look into stress or dig into stress or investigate it, but we can start with a very simple idea of it as a risk factor. For instance... What do you mean by risk factor? Well, let me give you an example. Um, somebody has an addiction, mm-hmm. and they've been sober for, I don't know, a number of years, and then suddenly a loved one dies, mm-hmm. or, or they lose their job, and they don't know whether, you know, where their financial... Um, security is going to come from Mm -hmm. and their stress it increases and I might add it increases because of a very logical reason but this stress is a risk factor into relapsing into addiction Mm. or you know many other issues many other problems so physical health problems of course yeah yeah Yeah. let's say somebody's going to surgery and they they're going to have you know a minor what we can now consider minor surgery, you know, but in their mind, they are risking their life. They're thinking of it as life or death. And there are people who do that. I'm sure that there are statistics that show that those people do not fare as well with surgery as people who go into it comfortably. Mm-hmm. So we we know that risk factors are um, part of an illness, part of a disease process. And we know that they need to be managed, but we do very little to manage stress. That's very true. And I think part of it is people don't see it as a state of mind. Some people see it purely as like an adjective. And yes. Other, and others purely as a verb. I mean, it's not, it's more than that. It's a, it's a state of mind. Yes. Could you, yes, that's a very important part. Could you say a little bit more about what you mean by how mo- how you think other people see it? Well, if it's an adjective, so you have a, a stressed, oh, that's that's a really stressed mother, the, the mother that's yelling at her child in a store. So they're mm-hmm. describing the mother as stressed, um, but it's just a description term. Or or a verb that, oh, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm really stressed. Uh, oh no no no! Better better example. You're a college student, and you use your stress to help you get your assignments done. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you use it as an action because you work well under pressure. Right. And um, but it actually is so much greater than all of that. It's a it's a 
state of mind. Yeah, I agree. It's completely mm-hmm. a state of mind. But it, and you're right. It's a it's an unobserved state of mind. Mm-hmm. I think most of us kind of look like. Um, it kind of stresses something like it flies into your ear and then it flies out of your ear. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't like it. We try to manage it, but we really don't explore it. You're right. And it needs to be explored because it is a, it is a, a major risk factor uh, in our lives. And we know that scientifically now. So there's, there's no, there's no um, doubt about that. And I, I would have a, f- I would guess that people confuse it with mental illness because if some if you say oh well that person they're they're bipolar or they're depressed or they're psychotic or whatever mm-hmm. these are definite things that happen with the mind that somebody that doesn't experience those things could say oh that's the other person that's that's them that isn't mm-hmm. about me but if you look at it all as stress and different intensities of stress Everybody has stress. So we all experience that state of mind. It isn't like, oh, well, that person has depression. I don't. So that's their problem, not mine. They should get their act together. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. This mm-hmm. isn't everybody problem. Well, it's a, <laughs> no, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I, I, we do know um, that people who suffer from mental illness, that stress is a risk factor. Mm-hmm. That even if their symptoms are under control, if they you know, are stressed in a really powerful way, that that can kick off their symptoms again. The problem that I think you're talking about addressing that's very important in our society is most people think of it as, like you're saying, just a mental issue problem. They don't realize how, how much it affects their blood pressure, mm-hmm. how much it affects their behavior. Yes. How much it affects their moods. How much it affects their interactions with others. Yes. You know, we don't really look at stress as being something that is pervasive, but it's pervasive because it comes it, it literally permeates every part of our life. How many times have you heard people say, I can't eat um, even though I should eat because I'm so stressed? Mm-hmm. How many times have you heard people say, I wish I could stop eating. I can't stop eating because I'm so stressed. I mean, it's that pervasive. It's a part of our whole mental world and a part of our behavioral world. And yet it's completely, for, the, for pretty much, it's unexplored. Two great examples. Insomnia is one. So that is, stress is contributing to that in most cases. And most people will just look for a pill that will make them sleep instead mm-hmm. of addressing the stress that's keeping them up with all their constant thinking. Mm -hmm. And another, I was just meeting with a client that was talking about she didn't like the fact she has a short fuse with her nine-year-old son, and she wishes she was more patient with him. And so her main way of dealing with it is just trying to read articles on parenting and trying to, okay, what do you do in that moment when, you know, your child is aggravating you? You know, I have to remember to take the deep breath at that moment. These things are only Band-Aid approaches. The, mm-hmm. the real problem that I was working with her on was that you know, she has this underlying residual stress that's causing her to have a short fuse. Right. It's not that she has to remember to take two deep breaths before she talks to her son. Right. At you know? that point, it's too late. Exactly. And I don't think people realize that. There no. isn't a quick fix for this stuff. I think that's the one of the problems that we have with stress. And I mean throughout our entire healthcare system, mm-hmm. both in terms of our providers, our, our doctors, our physicians, in terms of our psychologists, our therapists, our mental health professionals, 
you know, they're, they're like firemen who, who come when the stress is so high that the house is burning down, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. But if there's no burning down house, they never even, they don't know what to do about it. They just don't even bring it up. Don't bring it up. You know, that's the way there. Or they prescribe a medication, which is perfectly fine. I'm not anti-medication no. at all. I think people should take medications when they need them as long as they are, you know, medications that a doctor is prescribing and helping them with or that they're getting some kind of instruction with. I don't think people should just experiment on their own. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think we all agree that if possible, and it's not always possible, if possible, if we can learn to manage our stress without medication, it is better. Exactly. So before we get into how we see managing stress and what to do about it, let's, let's briefly talk about the third type of stress under living stress-free system, which is accumulated stress. So Lou, tell us about that one. Well, accumulated stress is the most serious form of stress. It's probably related to what most of us think is traumatic. Uh, we, we don't call it traumatic or trauma on purpose because we don't want it to be directly related to the diagnostic criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. We don't want it associated that way. We want everybody, whether or not you have a diagnosis or do not have a diagnosis, to be able to utilize our ideas to help them. Mm -hmm. So the idea of accumulated stress is very simple. It's residual stress to the max. Mm -hmm. In other words, it, it doesn't have to be long-term situation like a bad job or a bad relationship or a bad family of origin, the, the family that you were born into. It could be just one, two, and oftentimes two or three events that are just sudden and very traumatic, very life-threatening or interpreted as being life-threatening, even if in fact they are not life-threatening. But they are so overwhelming to the person that the person cannot process what is occurring, their reactions to what is occurring, and make any sense out of it. Exactly. I see it as the shock factor. If something happens in your life that's just shocking, you can't wrap your mind around how could that have happened? Why did that happen? You know, it, that you get in that state of mind of just where time stops and you're in shock. That would probably be a traumatic experience. Yes, for you. yes, exactly. And and the problem is is that these experiences that are not processed don't just disappear. Right. Even if we forget them, they don't disappear. The, the, um, our confusion, our mental confusion, our, our mixed emotional state mm -hmm. stays with us and the energy that is associated with them remains within us. So we become literally targets because uh, any situation that stimulates this trauma that we've had, this, this accumulated stress episode or experience that we've had, it sets it off in us, and once again, we still can't process it. It's, so we react in a very, very uh, unhelpful way. Yes, we often talk about how we, everybody knows you have to digest food, you have to metabolize the food you eat. It doesn't right. matter what your diet is, everybody knows you have to digest it, but people don't realize you have to digest experiences, right. your thoughts and your feelings and experience. You have to digest them in the same way, metabolize your thoughts and feelings, and 
When people don't, it accumulates. Yeah, and um, can we talk a little bit about that? Do we have sure. some time? Yes. Yeah, how do we process these experiences? I think that's a very important question. Mm-hmm. Well, usually I think three things happen when we process an experience successfully, let's say. Um, one is we don't identify with it. In other words, it becomes an, uh, uh, an object. It's an experience. It's not me. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so we don't identify with it. The second one is we observe it. Okay. So we're able to not identify with it. It's not me. And we're able to in- observe it and gain insight about mm-hmm. the experience that we're having. And then third of all, most very importantly, I can't say most importantly, but very importantly, we, we transition it. We transform it. Okay, so we change it into something that makes sense with the narrative of our life. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. So I get into a car accident. Somebody hits me. I get out of the car. I realize I'm still alive. It's a stressful event. It's not me. I'm not identified with it, okay? Then I observe the situation in my mind quickly. I try to go through all the things that happen. I try to put them together in a clear perception of what happened. And then I transition it, okay? I transform it. I make sense out of it. And then I act accordingly, you know, whatever makes sense. I bring out my driver's license. We call the police. We call the insurance company, whatever needs to be done. And then that experience, that stress from that experience is processed. It passes. But if I can't go through those steps, then the energy, the emotions, the mental confusion that took place in that experience is not transformed into a memory. I see. So if somebody identifies with the car accident, mm-hmm. would, that, would an example of that be that they personalize it? That they feel like, oh well, of course this happened. These bad things always happen to me. Is 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 that what you it, mean by identification? Yeah, it could it could be that, or it could be that the person feels great shame, whether they were really responsible or not for the accident. They take full responsibility. You know, this wouldn't blame. Have they blame. That's one way of doing mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. one way of identifying with it. Another way that's even more common is just that they, you know, when somebody gets scared to death, you know, just literally scared to death to the point where the mind can no longer rationally think, then the experience becomes a part of us, becomes a part of them. So, you know, an intense experience that can't be processed, um, we identify with it automatically. Okay. So if a person learned that everything is transitory, that all experiences and thoughts and feelings actually do pass, and there's still part of us that remains totally in the present moment and is fine despite these things that happen if they have an experience of learning that that would probably help this process well yeah that's the first step the first step is to help the person realize that number one you're reacting to accumulated stress which has happened in the past and you're still kind of captivated by that and under its control and You know, you're not it. And one of the first ways you learn that you're not this experience you can't process is that whatever you experience is transitory. That is a revolutionary idea to most people. Very few people really know that what they're experiencing 
no matter what it is, no matter how important it is to them, that it's a transitory experience. Very, I, I think I think very few people really do get that. And I think probably one of the reasons people don't know that and don't get that is because our society is very good at helping people with stress by giving them a way to just escape from it and avoid it and distract themselves from it. Yes. So the only way to actually experience, I am separate from my stress, this is a transitory thing, is to be able to sit with it and be and increase your awareness. But if you're constantly trying to not think about it right. and trying to just um, soothe yourself, whether it's through you know, binge-watching movies, exercising, um, different alcohol and drugs it could be just um anything it could be anything that not not no judgment about anything it's just the more you distract and escape from it you'll never get to the point where you can actually do something about your stress because you have no awareness yeah well i think first of all yes i think you're absolutely right and i think part of the problem is that number one the people who are supposed to be helping people with stress don't know how to process their own stress Mm. and and that's one of it. And number two, I hate to be cynical, but distracting people from their stress is a lot more profitable than helping them process it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if yes. you really want to make money, you know, don't don't cure the damn thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the fact that we've had so many horrific things happen, especially lately in America with violence and such is a sign of just what a stressed <laughs> stressed nation we are and um, and I don't think enough's being done to help people with their stress this goes beyond oh, we have to do something to help the gun laws or help mental illness I, I, I'm taking this way beyond that I think we just need to help people learn how to process and release their stress not just distract and escape from it even though those things are so popular and that's what we're all about. That's what Living Stress Free is all about. We want to help people actually learn how to, you can do something more productive with this stress to release it after processing it. And that's what we're here to help you guys with. Absolutely. I mean, in the end, it would be wonderful if we could create an ideal world with an ideal situation for everybody to have what they really should have mm-hmm. naturally. Um, but the chances of us doing that are pretty slim. But one of the things that we could do um, is all of us can learn how to manage our own stress. And that's something they can't take away from us, so to speak. You know, Once you learn how to deal with your own stress, um, you know they can't make you unlearn that one. So you got it. It's not going to necessarily get you everything you want in the world, but it's definitely going to help you enjoy what you have. So in wrapping up, if this idea intrigues you and you'd like to learn more about how we can help you with this, we have our next course coming up. It starts on Wednesday nights in Rochester, New York. Um, starts on September 18th for six weeks. It's um, part three on the study of the book I wrote, The Living Stress-Free Bible, that will be diving into the practices. That's what this course is called, diving into the practices. So we're going to be giving all of you the practices you need to actually do something about this stress that you have to actually process and release it and and the the practices and techniques we use are not only powerful and they really do work they also are enjoyable 
they are enjoyable so you will have a positive experience actually doing the pra practices as well as them giving you the benefit so um and lou will let you know if you're not in rochester what to do there are three yeah there's going to be three ways for you to take uh, advantage of this knowledge Marilyn's book the living stress free bible is really a wonderful resource of information she spent years researching and studying and working hard to put this information uh, into a very simple format and she succeeded wonderfully so there's uh, the Living Stress-Free Bible, Marilyn's book is one way. There's also the new course you, that's coming up. And as Marilyn just said, and you can learn more about that at livingstressfree.org, our website. But there is also, even if you can't join us in Rochester, New York, you please visit us at livingstressfree.org. Send us an email through our contact page. Tell us that you're interested. We will be, sir, uh, we will be offering the same course online and we will make sure that you get there and you enjoy it so thank you very much for listening to the living show street podcast have a great week everybody take care